What's going on, guys? Welcome into the Fantasy Pros Podcast. I am your host, Mike Taglier. My usual co-host, Bobby Sylvester, is out today, but I've done the best job I could in finding his replacement in order to bring you top-notch analysis. So when I saw that today's topic was going to be on breakout players, there was one person I handpicked that came to mind. And one of those analysts who's not afraid to go out on a limb and say that he likes someone when nobody else wants to admit it. He's one of the icons in the industry and someone I call a personal friend. He hosts a little show himself called On the Couch, and that is, of course, footballguys.com's Sigmund Bloom. Sig, thanks for joining me, man. How's things been for you? Good. You know, this is a fun time right now. We have about a month and a half to continue to let everything simmer in our brain pans and try not to com- overcommit, but commit to our range of outcomes and possibilities for the upcoming season before training camp makes us have another challenge of not overreacting, but reacting to what we see, sticking to our guns, but also being flexible. And it's fun. Uh, I-, I think... Mike, I think you and I should just do a tour through all of the podcasts in the fantasy football world. Like, we're just going to appear together on every podcast. I think this is like our fourth <laughs> different podcast together. It's fantastic, man. And, uh, you know, this is it's a great time because the people that are tuning in right now to our shows are the people that have the sickness like us. Hat tip to Ryan Burns for the football sickness. And there's never a shortage of things to talk about. There's really not. And that's the weird part is we're at the point in the offseason where people are going to talk. They're going to make stories just to make stories. And one of the things I wanted to lead off the show with was actually talking about one of those stories that I saw you comment on Twitter about the 49ers and Carlos Hyde and the divorce. You know, that's where I want to start just because it's a news item. We want to start there. I'm of the mindset that good NFL coaches, they build their team around their best players. It's not the other way around. And there's rumors coming around that Carlos Hyde doesn't quite fit the zone scheme that Kyle Shanahan wants to run and that Joe Williams does. Now, for me, I'm not necessarily buying this. I think that Carlos Hyde is the most talented player on that football team. I understand if they want to do that divorce, as you called it. But for me, why would you not build around your best player and work with him to make his skills stand out rather than you know, bring in a rookie who basically wasn't projected to be drafted until the sixth or seventh round. Like, where are you at on this, Sig? Well, this is one of those things where we have to bring in, uh, we have to not let this color be colored too much by our evaluations of players or our projection. And we have to look at what the teams are telling us with their actions. Actions speak louder than words. Mm -hmm. And I think, first of all, what makes this a little bit of an exception, just starting with your premise. Um, One is that Kyle Shanahan and that zone running game is something that he has perfected. And look, I've gone on rants about this uh, on my show. Matt Waldman and I have talked about this at length, where you're right that ideally you bring in a coach, especially coordinators, not to install their system and turn players into the pegs they need to fit in the holes in their system, but to build something around the players that they have. I know that uh, Chris Johnson told a story about Bruce Arians that, you know, when the Cardinals signed him, they asked him, what running plays do you like to run? <laughs> you know, that <laughs> seems to make sense. Right. But I think we have a little bit of an exception here with Shanahan because he's had so much success with this system. And look, they've given Shanahan the keys to the franchise. You know, there's a few other head coaches. I think Sean McDermott probably has this kind of power in Buffalo right now where they really get to make calls. Uh, they and John Lynch is coming along, but Shanahan's going to get to build this franchise in his image. Now, it could go downhill quickly like Chip Kelly did, like Josh McDaniels did. It could be a smashing success. But Shanahan's going to install his system and find guys that fit his system. And this is a three- or a four-year or five-year plan, like the team across the Bay and the Raiders. This isn't about success in year one. You see this, by the way, they didn't overpay for a quarterback or feel desperation there. 
Car- Carlos Hyde's in the last year of his rookie contract. Carlos Hyde has had some durability issues. And I don't think it is out of line for the 49ers to have clarity about what they're going to do next year on Carlos Hyde. And it does make sense, and we've got uh, reports going back months now, that they've basically made up their mind that this is the last year that Carlos Hyde's going to be with this team. Um, and I don't know if in the new running back market, Carlos Hyde's going to get big money. He may not even get Lamar Miller or Chris Ivory money, <laughs> but it's still an investment. You know, you're yeah. still going to have to pay him five, six million dollars a year, maybe like nine or ten million dollars guaranteed. And if you have clarity and then the Carlos Hyde can make that can Carlos Hyde can make it work in this Shanahan running game, but it's not an ideal fit for him. Yeah, and I understand everything you're saying. So but are we a little bit undervaluing how good Devonta Freeman actually is at football? Maybe, maybe. Um, but I think that we saw that Tevin Coleman was a player that Shanahan pounded on the table for in Atlanta, and they, I do think that he they've gotten more out of him than most other teams could. So either way, what's fascinating to me about this Hyde issue is I do think that it's what's working against the idea of a trade is the comp picks, and if he does get 9 or $10 million guaranteed on a three- or four-year deal next year, then that probably will net a third- or fourth-round compensatory pick. So I don't know if they can even get that in a trade right now, but I do think there are teams around the league Indianapolis, Baltimore. Remember, Greg Roman is in Baltimore now, uh, and he had success with Hyde in uh, San Francisco. Um, Buffalo could have an upgrade as their backup. They run a running game that's really good for him. Uh, you know, there are teams that could use Carlos Hyde right now, um, and maybe if we see an injury during training camp or the preseason, he could get moved. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's the thing. I, I am, I'm of the mindset that Hyde should be traded. You know, the 49ers aren't winning anything this year. There's no reason to really keep him around. So I'm okay with them trading him. But but to say that he's that, you know, Joe Williams should be the guy playing over him, I think is, is a very, very long shot. I think Carlos Hyde starts the year as a 49ers starting running back. I think he's starting to be a little bit undervalued in the fantasy community because no matter where he goes, it's going to be a team that has a need at that position. They're not going to trade for Carlos Hyde unless you plan on using that guy. I mean, when he's healthy, he's fantastic. Um, but one of the things I was told, I can't remember who told me a long time ago, is, you know, we hear a lot of noise throughout the offseason, but you don't want to pay attention to too much of the fluff. But when you hear something negative, that's the stuff that you kind of want to pay a little closer attention to. And we're starting to hear a little bit more negative things about it. And that's why I've lowered him down my draft board a little bit, but I still think talent wins in the end. But the point of the show today is to talk about breakout players. Carlos Hyde is not necessarily someone that would probably fit that conversation. We're looking for players who are drafted outside the top. It's funny, Sig. I sent you the topic for the what we were going to talk about. And I was like, you know, somebody outside the top three rounds that we feel could be, you know, a first or a second round pick in 2018. And when I started going through the ECR, it, or the ADP, it didn't seem like that was far enough. Like I started going further and further down the list. I'm sure you did the same because it seems too easy to say someone like, you know, Martavis Bryant at 412, like that, you know, he could be there. But we're going to talk about all these players. But I did want to let you guys know the sponsor for our show today is pristineauction.com. That is P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E auction.com. They have daily auctions with hundreds of items up for grab. With that being said, they have something for every team, including helmets, which I mentioned earlier this week that I've started collecting them. Uh, Pristine Auction is actually where I bought my latest one, which was Jerry Rice uh, 49ers helmet that came with a certificate of authenticity. They do guarantee that it's authentic, coming from only the most trusted sources. It's free, and you never pay to bid on an item. You only pay when you win, 
After all, that's the point. You want to win the item. Uh, all that we ask is that you go to the site, register, which again is free, in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Mention that you heard about Fantasy Pros to ensure that we can keep doing giveaways like the Le'Veon Bell signed jersey that we're doing right now. In case you missed that, head over to fantasypros.com where there is a link to our iTunes podcast page. Leave a review, take a screenshot of that review, and send it to contest at fantasypros.com, and you're entered to win. It's as simple as that. Uh, but Sig, we're going to start talking about these players. I'm going to let you kick it off. What, who's a player that is outside those top three, four, or five rounds, whatever round you want to go to, that you think that could potentially be a first or a second round pick next year? Yeah, there's there's some obvious guys, and we can we can delve deeper into any of these. Um, uh, and, and I do think, let me say this, when you gave me this question, one of the things that I looked at, um, especially if you're looking at it just the first round is, man, the first round is a hard bar to get over. Okay. It is. It is. It is. You know, so if we were asking this question last year, I mean, David Johnson was already in the first round last year, you know, um, Ezekiel Elliott was maybe going in the late first round, second round. So to get into the first round of rookie of, of regular fantasy drafts, you have to get past those top three running backs. There's four or five wide receivers. I mean, Michael Thomas would have been a guy that he's, I don't think he's sneaking in. So Michael Thomas, who had about the biggest, about as big a breakout as you could ask mm-hmm. a wide receiver in his rookie year, still isn't quite a first round pick. Maybe getting like the 11th or 12th pick in some drafts. So it is a high bar. But the players that I isolated, and Martavis Bryant, you, you hit as one. Uh, absolutely. Um, just because physically he's an absolute wonder. Uh, it's just a question of Ben Roethlisberger plays next year. Uh, and I do think the Steelers' pass offense can support two first-round pick fantasy wide receivers. Uh, three first-round picks, wow. Well, maybe that's something we should get <laughs> someone running the numbers on. If that, that, I mean, can an offense support three fantasy first-round picks? Someone take that and run with that. Uh, Devontae Parker is interesting because he's a player that physically, again, matches that first-round mold. There's buzz about him. As you said, though, it's not po- negative buzz. It's positive buzz, so we should maybe be a bit skeptical. The, my, my main hesitation with him is, are there enough balls to go around in Miami for anybody mm-hmm. to even be like a third, a second or a third round pick? Maybe Jarvis Landry is going to be disappointing this year if Parker comes on. But from a physical standpoint, from a skill set standpoint, he has that of a first round fantasy wide receiver. But not necessarily the situation. Derrick Henry's pretty obvious. Yeah. But really and truly, if DeMarco Murray's not on the team next year, Derrick Henry is probably a late first round pick yeah. in, uh, in fantasy leagues. Um, Jordan Reed was one I thought that would be interesting to bring up. And I, I, I think we just need Jordan Reed to stay healthy. I think if Jordan <laughs> Reed plays 13 or 14 games, he will be the number one fantasy tight end. He will put up numbers equal to, say, a top eight or 10 fantasy wide receiver. And that's a massive advantage in fantasy leagues. Uh, he just needs to stay healthy. Um, and then, you know, the, the rookie running backs, uh, uh, the, other than Leonard Fournette, who's going in the third round, the, the top rookie running backs, um, I think it wouldn't be a shock to see Mixon, McCaffrey, or Dalvin Cook going in the first round of drafts next year, depending on how they finish up this year and what their situations look like. But if you're looking for that first round bar, um, it's very difficult. The, ones, the one I'll throw out as a, a deeper call and the story is pretty simple. Is James Conner. <laughs> yep. Like, why not James Conner? Uh, Le'Veon Bell, if he doesn't sign a long-term deal, might not be with the Steelers next year. D'Angelo Williams was a top three, top two or three fantasy running back. Maybe James Conner won't be top two or top three, but he's competent. This has a great offensive line in front of him, a great offense around him. So he was the one I thought if we're going deeper and we're saying someone 
well outside of the top 100 picks and drafts this year that could be a first round pick next year? I think the answer is Connor. I agree with you on Connor. It's funny, like every single name you mentioned there, except for Jordan Reed, every single name you mentioned was on my list. And I think another player that could be tossed in with that, you know, outside the top 100 is Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack is going to be eventually, I think the Colts, they didn't invest a whole lot in Marlon Mack. It's not like they took him with a top two pick or anything like that. But Frank Gore over the last two years with Indianapolis has carried the ball 523 times. He's totaled under 2000 yards, you know, 3.8 yards per carry. He wasn't getting goal line work towards the end of the year. Robert Turbin was getting that and he was excelling in that role. So it's hard for me to draft Frank Gore with any confidence right now. I think Marlon Mack is the upside pick and he's not even being drafted right now. He's literally, I went on fantasy football calculator before uh, we did, we did our show and I took a look at where the ADP is at for all these players and I wanted to make sure that I knew exactly where it was and you know starting with Martavis Bryant he's he's up at number 412 so he's he's teetering on that area anyways and he's starting to slowly move up draft boards now that we know he's reinstated they, they're saying he looks really good on the field I do want to spend some time on Devonte Parker and the reason I want to do that sig is because the reason I'm buying some of the fluff on him is because if you recall last offseason, there were rumblings that Adam Gase and everybody was saying he was lazy and that they were really down on Parker. So they obviously have no problem coming out and dogging him a little bit, right? So to hear good things about him, to say that he's changed his diet, to say that he's refocused, like Evan Silva brought it up on Tuesday saying that Devontae Parker may have just seen Kenny Stills get this massive contract and be like, wait a minute, I am better than this guy uh, and I deserve... I deserve that type of money. I need to get my act together and enforce them. Some of the, you know, he's a kid. You know, sometimes we forget that, that these kids, 22, 23 years old, it's just they're very young and it's hard to say that you understand life at that point. But Devontae Parker seems to have gotten it this offseason. My only concern is that Kenny Stills was re-signed, you know? I don't know if you were like me, Sig, but when Kenny Stills, yeah. when I knew he was going to be a free agent, it can, it made me excited about Parker because we saw flashes last year of, of the par- the player Parker can be. And I think we, maybe, we actually saw that towards the end of his rookie season a little bit too. So, you know, Parker, for me, I want to be excited, but... Kenny Stills is a guy that can still command 80 targets, though, right? I mean, we have to take start taking away a lot from Jarvis Landry, don't we? We do. Well, in general, I think the Miami offense is a, a bit perplexing for fantasy because we know that uh, this is going to be as much as there is a balanced offense. What's a balanced offense now, Mike? Like 55% pass? Pretty you know, much. Yeah. I mean, 50-50 pass run is run heavy now oh that's extremely run heavy yeah so so about they're gonna have a balanced offense um as long as jay jay stays healthy now if a jay gets hurt you might throw this out the window what's really funny about this is we can go back through the the a timeline of projecting what adam gase was going to do on offense and it sure looked like going into the year last year that it was going to be a quick fast-paced short passing offense spread the field they have the, the four back committee remember that nonsense yes. and 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 then finally things sorted themselves out the offensive line got healthy and they started winning by riding JJ into the ground and that's what the plan A is now if JJ gets hurt maybe we could go back to something where you're spreading the field you're putting three wide receivers out there and another player that's going to complicate this is Julius Thomas because Gase has a history with Thomas there's already that report from Armando Salguero saying that there's a lot of plays put in the offense for Thomas. I think it was Simon Clancy who was pointing out to me, a uh, tremendous uh, football mind from England, that they were running Y ISO plays without the Y tight end last year to fit <laughs> because Jordan Cameron got hurt. Now they have that right. player in Julius Thomas. So you have a team that's already going to have at the bottom end in pass attempts in the NFL. And you have Jarvis Landry, you have Kenny Stills, you have Devontae Parker, you have Julius Thomas. 
how does that work? How does how do we even have a consistent week to week play? And look, I own Jarvis Landry in, in a handful of dynasty leagues. I love Jarvis Landry as a player. Also looming in the background here is Jarvis Landry's contract situation, and maybe for Dynasty, we're hoping for him to go elsewhere because this outlook I don't think is going to change. Uh, Still's got $20 million guaranteed on a four-year deal. He's not going anywhere for two or three years. Mm-hmm. And Parker, uh, you know, I think that you, you could see the breakout here and uh, you have the chance for him to have a fifth-year option. So how does this support somebody? This is like the opposite of the Steelers offense, right? Where yeah. you say, can the Steelers support three fantasy options that are weekly studs? Absolutely. Can mm-hmm. Miami support more than a Jai? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. Going really quickly though, going back to what you're saying about Marlon Mack, it's something that that came up in my mind too. Is an, another player to add to this list because we have, we're just looking at non-zero percent chances, right? Whether right. it's point three percent or three percent or thirty percent. Right. What about Tevin Coleman? Because I say I say Coleman. This is this is how Bloom's brain works. Marlon <laughs> Mack can be the Tevin Coleman of Indy's offense, yeah. um, but but he would need a Devontae Freeman now. Devin Coleman has his Devontae Freeman, but the non-zero percent chance here is that Devontae Freeman's not under contract next year. Right. Everybody's saying it's going to get done. I think it's going to get done. I'd say there's a 99-plus percent chance it's going to get done, but there's some sliver there that it doesn't get done. And maybe somebody does want to pay Devontae Freeman. Maybe it's the Colts. And Tevin Coleman could inherit that backfield. I'll tell you what, that would be dangerous um, to see him out of that backfield because Andrew Luck does target his running backs. They do score touchdowns. If you go back to the Ahmad Bradshaw time that he was there, and that Ooh, yeah. th- th- that wasn't the heyday for Ahmad Bradshaw either. So, I mean, to see Devonta Freeman in that Colts offense, even thinking about that, Jesus, like that, for me, that's a top three running back. Like, if, if he were to go there this offseason, I'm pretty sure that I would, m- maybe we'd go four. Maybe he'd be right yeah. behind this, the top three, and maybe he'd be right there. But, wow, I mean, just thinking about that for a second, it's definitely a possibility because Freeman has come out himself and said he wants to be the number one paid running back. He thinks that he deserves that money. And it's hard for me to disagree, Sig, because I think he's one of the true three down running backs in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I think he's proved his worth. I think as much as they wanted to like Tevin Coleman in Atlanta, it was hard to keep Freeman off the field because he's that good. I, I, and that, that, that's the thing. People thought I was taking a stab at Tevin Coleman when I said that Devonta Freeman was the better running back. I said that at the beginning of last year. It wasn't a stab at him. It was just me. I truly believe that Devonta Freeman is one of the top three all-around running backs in the NFL. His talent level, I think it's that good. So that's a situation like the Colts. What we, what we look for is that good situation, right? So that's why Marlon Mack, I think that he's a solid, you know, just like a stash, just to see what happens. You know, he he's always someone you can draw if you if you see Gore getting 20 carries a game again if, if that happens but for me I think Mac is one of the higher upside stashes because of what he pr- presents he's no other running back on that team does what he can do he's a playmaker he can break it off at any time right. and the Colts haven't really had that um, for quite some time I mean we've, we've had Trent Richardson we've had Donald Brown uh, you know now we're looking at Frank Gore and not to, again I don't hate Frank Gore. It's just he's past his prime. He's a plotter. He's he's a guy that if you're looking for someone to kill the clock, if you're looking for him not to have negative runs, that's Frank Gore. If you're looking for someone who can break a long one for you so that Andrew Luck doesn't need to be relied upon all the time and you're compensating for a really, really, really bad defense, I think Marlon Mack could be the guy. So I loved your mix and call. That's, that's a great one. I want to know your take because I haven't, it, this is funny, Sig. This is the first time we've talked this offseason, so I'm like yeah. trying to pick your brain here. Mike Gillisley. Going to the Patriots, he's got one of the best schedules in the NFL this year. And, um, you know, it's just like a caveat. He's playing his former team in week 16. But how, what's your take on this New England backfield? Because if he takes that blunt roll, he's the steal of drafts right now in the seventh round. Yeah, he is. He won't get 18 touchdowns like Blunt did. 
but 9, 10, 11 is not uh, outlandish. And I think what we're going to have to do with him is time it based on matchups. Uh, the games that we think, you could almost index it to Vegas line. You know, if the Patriots are favored by more than a touchdown, play Gillisley that week. Uh, I do think that he's vastly underestimated from a skill point of view. You know, the, the Dolphins took him like in the fourth or fifth round, and he looked to me much like Stephen Taylor, who I think is still kicking around for Arizona, but mainly because of special teams, right. where you see a good enough running back to hang around the league as a third running back who can do a little bit of everything, but isn't going to be the best running back on your roster at anything. And then Gillisley goes to Buffalo, and there, it was during Carlos Williams' incredible uh, rookie year breakout. I hope we eventually maybe get to see him play football again. Mm-hmm. And there were times that Gillisley and Carlos Williams, who was a physical marvel, you know, like 240, 50 pounds, but just rumbling down the field with acceleration and, and power. And he and Gillisley were almost indistinguishable. And he was has averaged, what, like 5.7 yards per carry or something like that. So it's good. not it's not fluke. These aren't flukes if you watch the the pace that he hits the line at and his efficiency and, and just, you know, he, he's a, a good runner after contact. So I think that, you know, this is the second time the Patriots did this to the, uh, the Bills where they see a player that the Bills are not valuing correctly or not using to their full extent, and they swoop in and get this player. Now, Gillisley's week-to-week uh, performance could be up and down. And I think the other thing we need to consider here and, and, and on the deep potential breakouts, along with James Conner, another name I have, Mike, is James White. Yeah, he's on my list too at 1401 why, right now. Why not James White? Look, we want to talk ourselves out of Belichick. Oh, God, Belichick hates fantasy football. He hates us. You know? <laughs> Look, Bel- Belichick's going to use his best players in the way that they help his teams win. Yep. And and this year, I think Deion Lewis can still is still going to get Mike Reese, or I can't remember who he was, was saying, like 15, 20 snaps a game. And, and you know, Deion Lewis, let's talk if he stays healthy next year where he ends up. He probably won't stay with the Patriots, but James White will. And James White, as there's a report this week also, that White really won over the Patriots in that postseason. And this is one of those things where narrative maybe belongs in fantasy football, that what White did in the Super Bowl plus the extension really indicates a clear intention of the Patriots to make him a more central part of the offense. And a New England Patriots running back that gets 40% or 50% of the touches can be a running back one in fantasy football, especially when you add the PPR boost. And what White did in the Super Bowl, while we want to project of those 18 touchdowns up for grabs for LeGarrette Blunt, some of those will go to Rob Gronkowski if he stays healthy. I'm knocking on wood, knocking on Gronkowski's head. Uh, and some of those touchdowns will go to Gillisley, but they'll free up some for James White too. Uh, so I, I like Gillisley. I think from a best ball standpoint, he could actually be a tremendous value. I think from a, a week-to-week standpoint in uh, typical redraft leagues, he might be a bit frustrating. But I, as you basically indicated with your lead into this question, um, we won't be surprised if come week three or week four, Gillisley has, say, 50 carries for 260 yards and four touchdowns and maybe, you know, a handful of catches. And he's a top 10 fantasy running back. And we're all going to say, well, duh. <laughs> How did we miss this one is basically yeah. what it's going to come down. I mean, New England handpicked him like the, the Bills ruined what they could have had here is that, the, you know, they lost the depth because they had Carlos Williams. They had Gillisley. They had Jonathan Williams. They had so many names behind LaShawn McCoy. And now it's literally just Jonathan Williams there. And Mike Gillisley tendered a fifth round pick. That was just stupid. It, it was one of the dumbest moves and they paid for it. Um, so 
for me with the Patriots, I, I'll take the upside with Gillisley. I believe he's a better running back than LeGarrette Blunt. LeGarrette Blunt, for as many touchdowns as he scored last year, he wasn't particularly good uh, in terms of actually running the football. Uh, one of the players that we talked about last show, and I wanted to gauge you because I'm trying to mention him on every show to tell people, go out there and draft John Brown. What's your take on John Brown this year? Do you like him? Right now, he's being drafted in the 10th round, so there's not much at stake here in order to draft him. He's, I know he's moving up with, with the more encouraging things that we're hearing about his health, but where are you at with John Brown? Yeah, I want it to happen. I you know I'm one of the biggest Smokey Brown fans out there, um, and I think that he is a player that we might compare favorably like T.Y. Hilton. He has a deep ball game he, for a, a smaller wide receiver. He has tremendous ball skills, ability to play the ball in the air, track it over his shoulder, make those circus catches. He's also extremely quick, fast, aggressive um, on short receptions after the catch. And I think that he's in a terrific offense to accentuate and maximize the fantasy value his skills can create. Obviously, what he was dealing with last year, now we can find out about a cyst on his spine. Yeah, that's um, so good. A sickle cell condition that was sapping some of his energy. The team is saying that he's got everything back. Michael Floyd is now not there to siphon the targets away. We'll see about Jerron Brown. We'll see about J.J. Nelson. We'll see about Chad Williams. You know, He's right. a, more of a long-term play. Um, and, of course, Larry Fitzgerald will probably be there to catch 100 balls again this year. <laughs> but if John Brown can stay healthy, John Brown can absolutely be a, a wide receiver, too, who has those occasional weeks where he has the long touchdown or has 9, 10, 11 catches. He even had one of those last year. I think he had like yep. a 10 catch for 140 yard year for those short glimpses of healthy John Brown that we got. So you look at drafts this year, early outlook, when you get to the seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th round of your drafts, there's a lot of good wide receiver names there. Yeah. And it, it really inclines you early to break ties against wide receivers. I know that going wide receiver early has been the safer play, the safer investments with your early picks. But as you do drafts, you do some MFL 10s, do some mock drafts, and you see, you know, I can get John Brown in the 7th or 8th round. I can get Marvin Jones in the 8th or ninth or 10th round. Uh, I can get Brashad Perryman in the 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th round. <laughs> uh, I, I might be inclined to you know, take an Aaron Rodgers early, take a, a Gronk or a, a Reed early, stock up on running backs early, and if you can get those wide receivers to hit, your team's going to be unstoppable. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's the thing. There's actually running backs down the list that I like, too, like some of the values there, because all you're looking for is volume. Uh, we're going to talk about those in just a second. But, Sig, I wanted to tell you, while you, you, while you were talking, I was able to look up the, because I have my spreadsheets, but I never calculated what the league, you know, pass-to-run ratio was, like on average. But I pulled up my spreadsheet that has all the teams on it, and I have that taken down. The only teams that were actually, like, had, were a 55% pass or less where there was three teams in the NFL that's it yeah like for 55 percent and that right. was uh, Buffalo Carolina and Dallas right and so that's not even balanced like now we're getting no. to like balance is like 57 percent 58 percent if we're calling exactly. balanced like right in the middle so uh so yeah but it's uh, nuts it's, well and it's funny too because if we want to get into some more big picture talk I can remember I'm old enough to remember I've been doing this long. Remember, it's like whatever I've been doing this for like 12 years. That we 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 started, um, you know, uh, blowing the trumpet about running back by committee about 10 years ago, 10 12 years ago, saying that bell cow running backs were going to be a thing of the past, and teams were going to go to a committee approach. And there were a few years in the playoffs when almost all of the teams that advanced deep in the playoffs had running backs, running back by committee. And now here we are, and um, 
it, it has greatly altered draft strategy. And I think the way the league is becoming more ha- pass heavy is now greatly altering pass tra- uh, uh, draft strategy. And there are some people putting out some good think fantasy football think pieces, which is kind of an oxymoron, but that's what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on on how maybe PPR, like there's no need for it anymore. I know that the Scott, uh, the, the fishbowl is going to point per first down this year, which is going to be fun. And, you know, perhaps that's a better measure of, providing value to the NFL team, which is what we ideally want to base our fantasy football values on. We want it to map to the real game. And with the league going so pass heavy, as I said, it's in vogue to go wide receiver heavy. And some of that was as we were adjusting to the league going pass heavy and wide receivers had more stable value and running backs didn't. But now with the league going so pass heavy, so many wide receivers have value Mm -hmm. that it's maybe not necessary to take them early. And uh, it's fun because if you're a good fantasy football player, you're t- looking at these big picture issues. You're trying to stay one step ahead. And I certainly don't see this one slowing down, even though Tom Coughlin does. <laughs> yeah, well, no. <laughs> yeah, he's going to slow it down. Leonard Fournette's going to be one of those running backs who has more than 250 carries. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned it. Say, basically, the, the too long didn't read version, I think, would be something like the, the gap between the top 12 running backs and the number 40 running back is much, 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 much greater than it is the number 12 wide receiver to the number 40 wide receiver. So I'm definitely with you. I like locking up the running backs early. Some of the ones that you can get in the later rounds that I kind of like, I mean, not later rounds, but Joe Mixon, the sixth round, Paul Perkins in the seventh, uh, uh, Kenneth Dixon, Danny Woodhead. You, you can honestly get both of them, and you can have a starting running back for your eighth and your you know whatever eleventh uh, round pick or something like that. Because Danny Woodhead for some reason isn't being drafted. Um, Andy Dalton, he's a name that I really wanted to talk to you about because I don't really talk about quarterbacks as sleepers very often or you know breakout candidates. But Andy Dalton has finished as a top five quarterback before. And I know that people are worried about his offensive line, losing Whitworth, losing uh, Levitre, and he did lose those players. But here's the thing. Andy Dalton was sacked 41 times last year. That's That was the second most in the NFL behind only Tyrod Taylor. So Andy Dalton got sacked last year. He was pressured last year. Nothing, Not much changed in terms of that. So while he did lose a couple of solid offensive linemen, some of the top quarterbacks in the league are among the sack leaders every year, like last year. Him, Luck. Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, Philip Rivers were all among league leaders in sacks. So for me, Andy Dalton has the best weapons around him that he's ever had. I think John Ross is more than a speed receiver, uh, you know, as I've said on this podcast before. But where are you at on Andy Dalton? Do you think that he's someone, if you wait in your drafts, let's say you go through and you grab running backs up front and then you stack up on those wide receivers we were talking about, and then you grab Andy Dalton in the 12th, 13th round? Yeah, I, I see it. I mean, I can definitely see it. And I think this is a good example of how our meditation and getting a handle on the range of possibilities and getting a handle on the way that changes in the offseason change the range of possibilities and then meditating on it and looking for signs and talking to smart people, uh, reading smart people until you have some clarity or you narrow down the part of that range of possibilities where you think the player is going to fall. And in this case, you definitely have, uh, with the Bengals getting Joe Mixon, which should increase absolutely be an upgrade from Jeremy Hill, uh, John Ross, which is just going to force defenses to play their passing game differently, and hopefully Tyler Eifert. Remember, A.J. Green missed, like what, seven games, eight games last year. Tyler Eifert was only healthy for three or four games really last year. So... If you have an all-hands-on-deck, now it, it starts to resemble the Steelers. Like if they could just get Bell and Bryant and Brown all on the field at the same time for a yep. stretch, wow, what they could do. 
that they have Ross, who's never uh, been that durable, and Eifert, who's never been that durable, and Green, who I, I don't think has a durability issues, but you know we've seen him get banged so up the last couple up, of years. Right. Yeah. If you can get these guys on the field, then in some ways this is sort of like the Ezekiel Elliott helps the Cowboys defense, right? Mm-hmm. Ezekiel Elliott helped the Cowboys defense by extending drives, by keeping the offense off the field, and not exposing the defense. Well, the poor pass-blocking offensive line that they have, really poor blocking offensive line. Yes. But Joe Mixon has that juice, that rookie juice in his legs to be able to make guys miss in the backfield and do things. The way you mask a bad offensive line is you have to force the defense to play on their heels because of all the options they have to defend and understand how you you have Tyler Eifert in the middle of the field in a mismatch against a shorter safety or a slower linebacker. Mm. You have A.J. Green who can beat double teams on his own. You have John Ross who can take the top off the defense. And even someone like Tyler Boyd who can be a nifty player in, in, in those underneath zone areas that are left open by all these players. But it is a terrible offensive line. Terrible. And there's and like you said, it wasn't great last year, okay? But then you take away Kevin Zeitler, their best guard, and Andrew Whitworth, their left tackle. And they had a, a nifty draft plan a few years ago, and they took Cedric Obwehi and Jake Fisher in the first and second round. And these guys both projected as starting tackles in the NFL, and this is really great, right? Like, can't you just see it, Mike? I mean, you, you've worked in, in you've worked on the business side of of the of the you know. Uh, now you're over here in the fun side, but <laughs> on the business side, couldn't you just imagine the brown, the Bengals and in their thrifty ways saying, "Well, looking at it coming up, Andrew Whitworth is going to get paid in two years, and Andre Smith was a player that." They didn't at a certain point. I think didn't really see as worth an investment. So let's go ahead and draft uh, offensive tackles now, and we'll let these guys walk, and we have our replacements already in tow. But here's the problem: they didn't actually watch <laughs> Obwehi and, and Fisher to say these guys aren't ready or just aren't right. good enough. So I, it could could Dalton go down with the ship here? He absolutely could because he he he's been hurt before. But the, the thing is, here's what worries me. Andy Dalton's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league outside of structure, right? Once the play as designed is abandoned, you you really want Andy Dalton to just throw the ball away. You're like, please don't try anything. Please, please don't try to be the hero here because you're Andy Dalton. <laughs> That's not what you're good at. You're good at you're good at when the play works, Andy Dalton delivers. Right. So I you you really have a, a wide range of poles of how this offense could go. Because if Dalton goes down, and A.J. McCarron is the quarterback here, you don't want any of these Bengals. <laughs> That's the tough part. That's the tough part. I think you're going to have ups and downs. It could be a Bortles-ass type, you know, because I think their defense is going downhill too. They Who was it, the slot cornerback that they uh, that they kept? Uh, Darkeese Denard? Yeah. I think that's. I think he's a slot cornerback. They picked up his option, which was uh, dumbfounding to me. Like, they don't have a slot cornerback. And I'm, I apologize, you actually mentioned it. Kevin Zeitler is the one. I, I said Levitre for whatever reason. I don't know why I was tied to, to his name. But, um, yeah, yeah the, the offensive line, it's got his issues. But for me, I think the defense is slowly, it's going down a hole that you really don't want to see it go down. The offense does have weapons. It's its a matter of the weapons around him that I'm trusting. And I, I think that Joe Mixon, one of the best things that he does is catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he reminds me a lot of Matt Forte. 
yeah. uh, Mixon in, in the fact that I don't think he's a very, I think he's a solid running back, but I think he's a better, a little slightly better running back than Forte, but not as great as a receiver, but he is still very, very good. And I think it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. Where do you stand, Sig? We're talking about a late round running back, Kareem Hunt. Where are you on the Spencer Ware, Kareem Hunt thing? Because for me, I'm a huge Spencer Ware fan. I think that he's one of those guys that's been underappreciated in this league. I think that he he he's a tackle breaking machine. He doesn't stop. He's what Andy Reid would typically want. He may not be the big play guy that people like to see, like a Jamal Charles. But do you think that Hunt's going to come in and take this job right away? No. Well, here's the problem. Okay, if you're being honest, even if you're extremely optimistic about Kareem Hunt, he doesn't just kick Spencer Ware to the curb. I think we're looking at something more like what we originally saw with Ware and West after Jamal Charles went down, where it was close to a 50-50 split, even though Ware was clearly doing more with his touches than West was. They are different running backs with with different skill sets. And Andy Reid set out to use both of them in situations that accentuated what they did. And then over an offseason, we saw Ware really separate himself from West. Uh, and Ware, in the first half of the year, one of the key p- parts of this puzzle to solve is Ware, before his concussion, was pretty good. Yes, yes. It after seemed like different after that, right? After his concussion, he wasn't the same running back. It was an, a whole offseason to shake this off, uh, change him back to the running back he was. But even if he's the running back he was, it's in the first half of the season. Hunt is better than West, and Hunt is better than at doing some of the things that West does than than West is, and Hunt will take snaps away from Ware. So I think even in a in a best case scenario for Ware, you have him getting maybe 50, 55, 60% of the backfield work, making him like a low running back too, where Hunt is someone you roster and wait to see if Ware gets hurt again or if Ware wears down a little bit or Hunt just breaks a few plays that says they want to get him more involved. And you could flip it the other way and say Ware is, is still you know, lost the edge that he, he didn't get back in the second half of the year last year. But Ware still has value, and Ware is still going to play his role. I think he's going to be better between the tackles, maybe a better short yardage back. Maybe he gets more of the short yardage touchdowns around the goal line. So what you really have here is it's hard for me to tell a story, Mike, outside of Ware or Hunt suffering a season-ending injury where you're you're excited to plug one of these guys in your lineup every week. And it and, and Hunt is the cheaper guy, so Hunt's probably the better play just on that alone. But this can also be the kind of fantasy pick that frustrates you, especially in your leagues where you have 15 or 16 roster spots and the waiver wire is really fat and you really want to churn through your limited bench spots to get guys who can hit and change the destiny of your team. Is You're, you're going to draft Kareem Hunt What's the what's his ADP right now? Like tenth, eleventh, twelfth. It is twelfth uh, round, twelve oh seven. It's it's higher in an MFL tens, but yeah. I mean that's where the sharps are at right now. So you're yeah. going to see that go up. So tenth, eleventh, twelfth rounds, and you're not going to want to cut him. But unless Spencer Ware gets hurt, you're not necessarily going to want to use him either. So this might be one of those situations where both of these backs are good enough, but neither one is outstanding enough to pull away from the other. And it might be one to avoid, even though this offense seems like it should prevent, provide value. And look, we're, we're, we're splitting hairs here, but this is what we like to do for fantasy right. analysts. Yeah. Tyreek Hill is going to take 20, 30, 40 touches out of that backfield. So these are, these are slim margins we're dealing with. And when you already have a backfield split, despite a good offense and a coach who knows how to get the most out of its players, I think this could be very frustrating for fantasy football. 
Well, that's the thing is like Andy Reid does get the most out of his players and he's always traditionally tried to go with that one back system. And that's the reason I've been trying to split the hairs on it and find out whether or not Kareem Hunt is going to get that job. Because if Spencer Ware starts the year as a starter, you may be able to go and trade for Kareem Hunt if you're the Ware owner just in, in protection to have that handcuff. I know some people don't believe in handcuffing, but when you're talking about a job that that is the one of the Chiefs, like if Spencer Ware something were to happen, Kareem Hunt would walk in and have RB1 value. And that's where I'm okay having that on my bench, taking up a spot because in the end that's what we're looking for we're looking for that that landmine um or the gold mine i should say not landmine uh but one of that's the players- a great title for an article by the way <laughs> gold mine you can take that go patent that pause the show and go patent that right now. done done i'm gonna make an article later today on that sig thanks for the uh thanks for the tip there <laughs> one of the, uh, one player since we're we're trying to talk about breakout players and i i know we could talk about every single player we want but Josh Doxson, okay, a lot of people are expecting big, huge things from Terrell Pryor, but the reason that the Redskins drafted Josh Doxson, and as said by Jay Gruden himself, he compared him to A.J. Green coming out of college. Jay Gruden expects big things out of Josh Doxson. I know the fluff right now is going all around Terrell Pryor, but for me, Kirk Cousins has never been a player who's targeted a wide receiver a whole bunch. You know, no wide receiver under Kirk Cousins has ever seen more than, I think the number was 109 targets, and I think that that was Pierre Garçon last year. He's never targeted a wide receiver more than 6.9 times per game on average. So for me, the ADP of Josh Doxson in the 13th round, or Terrell Pryor, who I believe is going in the 4th round, I'm a little worried here. I mean, I, I just don't see why you would pay Pryor. I think Drafting Pryor as a top 15 wide receiver, I think you're drafting him at his ceiling. I'm not saying he doesn't have, you know, a number 12 wide receiver ceiling, but that's a slight increase from where you're drafting him. Whereas Doxon, let's say that they're a similar player, like in terms of their finishing stat lines, Josh Doxon's being drafted, you know, 10 rounds later, essentially. So where are you at in Doxon? I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that you're a Terrell Pryor fr- a fan, right? Yeah, I am. Well, I don't find myself drafting prior a lot. I mean, when I'm going somewhere into the Washington, when I'm delving into the Washington offense, I'm taking Reed. I think Reed is your number one target in this offense, basically. Um, I think Pryor's number two, uh, A, with Crowder as 2B, and maybe we may look back in terms of sheer number of targets as Crowder is two and Pryor is three, right. and then you get to Dachson. What, what makes Dachson worth dabbling in, at least at that ADP, is just sheer talent. And mm-hmm. from a physical standpoint, I, I I don't know if I would compare him to AJ Green. I don't know if that's necessarily his archetype physically. Maybe a little more like Des Bryant ish in the sense. What I just I'll say this: what I remember about Josh Doxson is, um, and I think when Washington did think he was kind of healthy for a minute there last year, they deployed him as a red zone specialist. And uh, Jordan Reed obviously does a lot of damage in the red zone too, and so could Terrell Pryor with his size. Um, but you know, this is a player you want to go up to get those fades. This is a player that he does have the speed, the leaping ability, and timing, ball skills to be a deep target. Uh, and certainly, with everything that happened with Josh Jackson's rookie year, we may see the unveil in Week One and say, "Oh." This is what we're thinking maybe with Devontae Parker too, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh man, whatever plan they had throw it away and put that guy in the center of it. So that's what makes Josh Dawson worth that second half of your draft pick to see what happens. But you're right that, um, and, and you know, maybe this is a, 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 all a discussion where if we put, if we spell out everything we're talking about, it spells out Kirk Cousins yeah. because of these targets. And how will he adjust to not having Deshaun Jackson? How will he adjust to not having Pierre Garcon? How will he adjust to not having Sean McVay, who's, uh, you know, in L.A. coaching the Rams now? But there is plenty of pieces there, even if Reed can't stay healthy, even if Doxon can't stay healthy. 
for him to stay very viable. And um, I, I think that from a PPR standpoint, Crowder's going to be a solid three. Like he's a guy you're going to love to have as a three. Um, his touchdowns may come down a little bit now with if Doxon can stay healthy. Pryor's going to have some ups and downs, but you know certainly he'll be some days that he's just working whoever he's faced up against. Like when you look at Philly's corners and you look at Dallas's corners, there's nobody there that can check Terrell Pryor. Come on. No, no, uh, yeah, so, that, yeah. Their division got a lot weaker this off season, and one, well, the Dallas's did in particular. So it's going to be tough week to week. I don't think there's. I think if there's one guy that can stand out, it's Reed. Not because his stats won't necessarily stand out from the receivers, but because it tight end the bar's a lot lower. I see where you're at with that, and it, that's fair. And one another player I want to talk about that I could see taking the leap, and this is a player that I've I've taken in so many MFL tens, and I talked to Evan Silva about him. And that's Devin Funches. Funches is a guy huh. who, if you're he right now, he's being undrafted in in, in standard leagues on uh, fantasy football calculator on MFL tens. I, I've been getting him in the 15th, 16th round a lot of times. This is a guy that you're drafting. He's basically undrafted. It, it, that's you're getting him for free, and he's a guy that can finish as the number one receiver in Carolina. I've talked about it, that Kelvin Benjamin, he's not really a possession receiver. He's a red zone guy. And, you know, he's a shorter target guy, whereas Devin Funches over his career has averaged 15.6 yards per reception. They just lost Ted Ginn. You know, Philly Brown is gone. They had they, they brought in Curtis Samuel and they brought in Christian McCaffrey. These are two guys that are going to see the short area targets. They're going to take away from someone like Calvin Benjamin because he's not a playmaker, whereas Funches, he can be. And I, I just think that this late in drafts, there is nothing wrong with taking a guy like Funches. And I'm not saying that he's going to be a first or a second round pick next year, but I think Devin Funches can legitimately wind up in Calvin Benjamin territory, like that, you know, that wide receiver 25 range. I think I could see Devin Funches just finishing there I don't know where you're at on him well I think that you're on to something with the idea that somebody is going to outperform expectations in the Carolina pass offense uh, and, it, it, and it may just be Cam Newton I mean Cam Newton's getting a little disrespect a little um, he's gonna get that shoulder fixed uh, hopefully he doesn't get knocked around and concussed like he did last year that really changed the outcome of a season um, and what do you like about Cam Newton this year is the idea that between the draft picks of McCaffrey and Samuel, the team is saying, we want to help you. <laughs> you know, we, mm -hmm. we care about you. Um, and somebody is going to benefit. You know, Kel Kelvin Benjamin's going to slim down and start to hit his ceiling. My problem with Devin Funches is just that his development really seemed to plateau last year. He was showing signs of growing into his his body and his game. You remember Michigan, they, was he a tight end? Was he a receiver? They right. didn't know. Um and and certainly the Panthers had this idea that we need to get we need to get Cam Newton who often misses high. We need to get him big receivers with long arms with giant catch radius and radii, mm -hmm. and uh, and with Benjamin and Funchess. But I think with Funchess, you know, he's got that long limb. Uh, it's some a little bit surprising speed. You know, I'll say Malcolm Floyd. Right. But but really. I still don't see the the light bulb turning on for him. I didn't see it last year. So McCaffrey becomes really interesting here as somebody, if, if Cam Newton can find his touch on shorter passes, can catch 70, 80, 90 balls. Samuel and the Ted Ginn role becomes interesting. If he can, even if like he's Ted Ginn and he just goes 50-50 catching the deep balls. And maybe it's Greg Olson, right? Maybe, maybe it's Greg Olson that we are overlooking. Maybe it's Greg Olson because while... He was healthy last year. I say he, I mean um, Cam Newton. To begin the season, uh, 
Greg Olson in the first four games before in the fourth game against Atlanta was whenever Newton got hurt. He had 40 targets in four games. He had 24 catches. He had, uh, doing the quick math here in my head, uh, um, like 325 yards and two touchdowns. You just project, project, now 160 targets is kind of exorbitant for a tight end. Mm-hmm. 96 catches, uh, um, 1,300 yards, eight touchdowns. But these are like, these would be far and away, these are like Gronk if he can stay healthy numbers, you know, uh, except like not quite as many touchdowns. Maybe it's Olsen because he's going to, because I think Benjamin and Funches have shown like maybe their development has plateaued as players. Samuel and McCaffrey are going to take time to build that chemistry. Um, and then there's still good old Greg Olson. Uh, and as the pass offense tailed off in the second half of the season, as Newton's effectiveness went down, so did Olsen's numbers. But I like the idea of let's sort through Carolina's offense, pass offense, because somebody is going to outproduce their ADP. Yeah, I would definitely take Funches at his undrafted ADP over Kelvin Benjamin. He's being drafted right around that number 30 wide receiver. And I, the thing was, I wasn't necessarily opposed to Kelvin Benjamin before they drafted the two the two backs because there was going to be value to be had. Kelvin Benjamin's he's a guy that's going to catch 8 to 10 touchdowns. Like, that's what you're drafting him for. But I'm starting to see others absorb those targets that he would get. And, you know, when we're talking about Kelvin Benjamin, he started out the year really hot. I think he was the number one fantasy wide receiver after the first two weeks. And it was like, oh my God, you know, we all this offseason stuff that we talked about, about his weight and stuff, that it was all overhyped, that he's back to being this player. But as you watch him as the season goes on, Kelvin Benjamin plays like an old man. Like he moves like an mm. old man. And that, that's the best way that I can describe watching him. Whereas Devin Funches looks like a young buck that's trying to make his way. And it's not, it's not to say that the light bulb is going to automatically come on because he couldn't even really crack the starting lineup. I mean, Corey Brown was, I think, played more snaps than him last year. And that's never a good thing. Ted Ginn, again, those two guys are gone. So Funches is going to be out there in two wide sets. It's just a matter of, did it does it click? And do they realize? I think that he fits what Cam Newton does best throw the ball far and that's you know that's Cam Newton's strength is he can he's got one of the biggest arms in the NFL he's not going to be running it as much anymore I think we saw that as the year went on Greg Greg Olson you mentioned it I was doing I was doing some dynasty research on him and my concern about him is it is it wasn't really after the Cam Newton injury necessarily or his concussion it was after their bye week because uh, through the first six weeks in the season, he had totaled at least 64 yards in every game. There were two games over 120 yards. Everything was great. But coming out of the bye week is when everything went down. He The rest of the season, he had two games over 59 yards. Like He just wasn't catching the balls that he typically would. And I don't know... It, it, again, it could be Newton. It could be the shoulder that it just started bothering him more and more as the year went on. I mean, we saw historically bad completion percentage out of Cam Newton. I mean, I think there was four or five games in a row where he was under 52%, which is just something an NFL quarterback should not do. So for me, I think Devin Funch is, I think he just fits. Curtis Samuel is still learning somewhat of a new position, I would say, where, you know, he, he was a running back and then now he's a wide receiver. I just think that Funch is, it could click for him. Um, the last player I do want to talk about before we get out of here today is one of my, he was a guy that I loved last year. And I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it because I still think the talent's still there and why I think he could be a breakout candidate in 2018, potentially this year. The, the Cleveland Browns have went out and shored up their offensive line. It's, it's great. I, I think you can argue that the Browns might have the best offensive line in football. You know, Dallas lost two offensive linemen this year. Oakland's right up there too, but Duke Johnson, People mm-hmm. were talking about him as a you know fourth-round pick last year at this time. And now, Isaiah Crowell, 
he's a guy I'm not sold on. I know that you're a bigger Crowell fan than I am, and I'm not saying that he's a bad running back. I'm saying that he's, I think he's a mediocre running back playing behind a great offensive line, and I think he's going to produce solid numbers. With that being said, Duke Johnson is a player that's been kind of like behind him in the limelight, just waiting for his opportunity. You know, last year he averaged almost five yards per carry. He saw 74 targets, even though Crowell was seeing some work in the passing game. I just think Duke Johnson is at 14th round ADP. And meanwhile, we're seeing Crowell move up to, he's being drafted as the 11th running back off the board now. So I think the hype train has officially gotten somewhat out of control on Isaiah Crowell. But again, we could I, we could be differing here. So I'm not sure where you're at on Duke Johnson, the whole Isaiah Crowell yeah. thing. Well, you hit on the most important thing. Uh, when we look at this situation, which is the uh, offensive line is vastly improved. They got J.C. Treader, they got Kevin Seitler, they got Joel Petonio locked up. Um, of course, they still have Joe Thomas, and we'll see about Cam Irving as a right tackle. Uh, and the quarterback situation is a potential weak link. I think we're going to see Deshaun Kaiser by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, why we loved Duke Johnson so much last year at this time was we said, who's going to catch passes in this offense? We didn't think Terrell Pryor was going to be what Terrell Pryor was. Um, and we saw Duke Johnson as maybe being able to catch 70, 80, 90 balls. Like we were talking about Christian McCaffrey, the potential mm-hmm. there for him. Um, and then we saw Duke Johnson as, uh, and the same thing happened to Giovanni Bernard in Cincinnati when they, they lost their secondary receivers. We thought, ooh, a spike in targets and catches. It didn't come. Um, I like Duke Johnson as a player. Uh, I like the situation. I do think Crowell's still going to get his 200, 250 carries. You know, as a quick aside, I'm not really sure what the big difference is right now in Isaiah Crowell and Todd Gurley's outlooks right now. Um, yeah, when true. you compare like the overall quality of the situation, the weekly ceiling and floor, the roles they're going to be asked to play. Um, so that other problem with Duke Johnson is I'm always telling myself uh, the what if stories. What if Isaiah Crowell gets hurt? Does Duke right. Johnson turn into a 20 touch a game back? I don't know. I don't know. Um, they've got Darius Jackson, interesting guy they stole from Dallas when Dallas uh, released him, and maybe they may have come back. To that may regret, they may regret that. So I just think Duke Johnson, much like Giovanni Bernard, sadly, um, yeah. is a player that his role stays the same in case of injury. Where, um, yeah, you know, I think if Duke Johnson went down, maybe Isaiah Crowell could become like a feature back. Although yeah. it is fascinating, they just gave him a, a just that that RFA tender. Yep. And and we'll see if they sign him to a long-term deal. Um, it, it's going to be interesting. But that Cleveland offensive line, if they can just get competent play from their quarterback, could make their running their backfield worth a lot. And we met, you mentioned MFL 10s a few times. Getting Crowell and Duke Johnson at cost at MFL 10s and getting the investment in that backfield, i.e. the line, looks pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And that's the thing is like, I know there's some people out there that hate Crowell. And I, again, I'm not a big Crowell guy, but the situation calls for uh, like running back. There's going to be running back points here. It's trying to find them. And that's why when I see Duke Johnson in the 14th round, it's an interesting take on the fact that, you know, if something happened to Crowell, would Duke Johnson jump into that 20 touch per game role? And it, it may not be how Hugh Jackson sees him. It's a good question, but I think he does remind me a lot of Gio Bernard. So it, it, it's a really good question. And Gio Bernard was when he was like the guy before. Before Jeremy Hill became a thing, Gio Bernard was that borderline RB1. He was an RB2, you know, a safe RB2 seemingly every week. So for me, I think Duke Johnson, he, he he's borderline that territory. And if Isaiah Crowell were to some reason, you know, leave after this year, if they don't sign him to a long-term deal, I think Duke Johnson is called upon to maybe play that Gio Bernard role that he had in Cincinnati under Hugh Jackson. So um, these all, all these things are going to shake out, guys. And that's that's why I love talking football. Sig, you're one of my favorite people in the world to talk football with. I learned, I, you know, 
I'm trying to get as many guests on here as possible that, you know, I learned things from you and Evan, you're two of my favorites. I thank you for taking the time out of your day. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to any, anything you're working on that we should know about? Yeah, I'm just doing brain dump articles. I'm looking at splits and schedules and all kinds of things. Just like what we just talked about, like not so much taking stances, but saying these are the things I'm considering as I'm trying to figure out where I'm at on these players. I just did quarterback. We're doing, we're doing our overvalued, undervalued, deep sleeper series where we get the whole the brain power, the whole staff at Football Guys. Um, we're still free through mid July. Just you know have to register for our uh, our email and I, I, you know I I love what's going on in the fantasy world right now. I love seeing everybody like yourself uh, spraying their wings and us all getting to spend time in each other. Sandboxes, clubhouses, and uh, it's a great time to be doing what we do. It definitely is. It definitely is. It's going to be even better in about two months when we're in full swing of things. The NFL season is actually upon us and we're ready to actually watch some football and analyze some of that rather than, you know, some of these beat writers, uh, you know, some of their comments that they've made over the past couple of weeks. But again, I want to thank Sigmund Blute for coming on. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he is at Sigmund Bloom. Myself, I am at Mike Taglier NFL. Don't forget to go over to the iTunes page, review the podcast. Give us an honest review, guys. If there's something wrong that you want, that you think we could be doing better, let us know. That's what this is for. So go there. There, register send us a screenshot of that review and we will be at, at contest at fantasypros.com and you will be entered to win that signed Le'Veon bell jersey thank you as always for tuning in and until next time guys lights out i just wanted you to watch me dissolve.